Hello, everyone. This is Ron Stefanski with segment three. We're talking with Kevin Singer from Singer Vehicles and Divergent 3D and Cynthia Hutchinson from the U.S. Center of Advanced Manufacturing. Cynthia, this is the third and final segment where we're going to task both of you, you and Kevin, with a view of the future of advanced manufacturing based on some of the explosive and electrifying things we've heard shared today. Go ahead, Cynthia. To give those who um, have missed episodes one and two some idea of where we are, I am rarely the person in the room chosen to tap things back into line. I'm usually the one who blows things up. So it's exciting to be in the role where I get to um, push somebody else back inside the lines. It's very thrilling. Uh, a couple of things that some observations that I've made, one of the things Kevin was just talking about was the was essentially the biologification of manufacturing. We're beginning to look at manufacturing in terms of the way the ecosystem of the world works and natural ecological evolutionary process. Um, and we've also, we've given Kevin opportunity to share the vision that is where he is today, which is already an, an explosive change from the seven years ago where he started and brought a company to fruition to now actually manufacturing automotive parts. But we also gave him a chance to expound upon where things go in the future. So I'm going to open this just by bringing you back a little bit to today, actually today, today. Earlier in the day, I know you spoke with Automation Alley CEO, Tom Kelly, a little bit about 3D printing and how AI and 3D printing intertwine and exactly some of the programs that Automation Alley is doing in Michigan currently that will help SMEs begin to really drive a diverse manufacturing climate. Is that something that has a role that you, you see being worthy of pushing forward and really expanding upon so that we get more creators in the space that you are in? You know, yes. I mean, I, I, uh, I would say, I don't know uh, what the manufacturing SMEs are that you're, you're talking about. I would say that uh, going back to that Amazon web services model, uh, you know, unless you have architected a full system, the printer speed and cost to do like individual replacement parts, especially for volume automotive, it needs to be, you know, much, much, much higher uh, speed and much, much lower cost if it's not part of the overall blended system cost that includes the automation of engineering and doing fixtureless assembly that you know you're not only getting rid of tooling in the manufacturing side but you're getting rid of all fixturing and uh, I can say this you know without really having an impact on my business the you know assembly side that we have now this automated assembly cell you know our amortized assembly cost you know for a you know, a 20 kilogram, say, you know, rear subframe is about 25 cents a kilogram. So that's already down. But, and then you're taking away all of, imagine, you know, I, I can tell you on a production program, you know, we've already had situations where, uh, you know, we've had a frame go through full uh, crash and durability. And then they changed, say, one of the other components in the vehicle. Ordinarily, somebody would have to scrap all of the tooling, do a redesign, and you're 
six, nine months or more out, we re-delivered a frame in a week and a half, all right? And the correlation between, these are our materials, material cards development, and we've done enormous testing, right? Uh, the correlation between our simulation and real world testing is, you know, within a couple percent, you know, so there you're sort of, okay, you need a change. In a week and a half, something is arriving to somebody in Europe and it's already gone through that, uh, that kind of iteration. So uh, what I would say is, you know, going back to what you said uh, uh, in the earlier episode about how, you know, very often people invent things, but they don't implement uh, things. You know, it's what Nassim Taleb called half-invented industries. Quite often what happens in these half-invented industries, and if you look, the computing industry was that before Steve Jobs and the graphic, uh, you know, user interface, graphical user interface, is that, uh, you know, people are looking, uh, 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 you know, at this machine that somebody has invented and saying, now, how do we apply it instead of looking and saying, what are the physics of the different inventions? What's my system level application? How do I spec the system for the application rather than how do I take this application and go out and, you know, find or, or take this, this uh, invention technology, the 3D printer, and go find a use case for it? Right. I think that when you implement systems, you have to do the reverse uh, of that. And, you know, that's effectively what Divergent uh, has done. So you, you need those system level economics. You need that. I'd say the first printer that we did, uh, you know, I gave the keynote to, at AMUG this year, you know, in the U.S., the user group keynote. Uh, you know, going back to 2017, when uh, SLM Solutions, you know, which is a German uh, 3D printer machine manufacturer, uh, uh, you know, they were just planning to come out with a four laser printer that was going to be the fastest state of the art printer on the planet. You know, I looked and said, this thing, when you look at real net effective print rate, like the net structure and you're doing thin wall structure, you know, with structure within under the skin that you'd have to do for say the structure of an, uh, of a car, uh, you do that and you're printing at 30 milliliters an hour, right? It's the fastest machine in the world and it's printing enormously slow and enormously expensive. You know, it's on the internet. So you can see, you know, in March of 2017, there was announced a joint development program between Divergent and SLM, you know, where I took the system spec I needed within that blended cost, if, if you understand what I'm saying, for that first machine, which is a 12 laser machine, at a time when the four laser machines weren't even being really commercialized, they were just being announced. Uh, that machine, obviously, uh, you know, because I had a very good relationship with the entrepreneur who ran the company at that time, and, and now with the CEO that has the company, uh, I was able to, uh, you know, kick off a program where that machine was open architecture to us with their spec. You know, obviously, we've been operating that for you know, several years before anyone has had, you know, really operating a 12 laser machine. 
And, uh, you know, that is the first step in a series of steps. I'll just put it there. So that machine, you know, we're printing at rates, some rates, you know, above 500 milliliter an hour for net effective print rate for production parts. So that's really, you know, when you're looking at real, real rate, and I don't mean like desktop metal has their print rate, but not their like center rate added into it, you know, which can be a day. When you're looking at net effective print rate, you know, you need to get to that one kilogram of net affected, effective printed uh, structure an hour as the minimum for a minimally viable version of a first system that's taking out all of that engineering cost and taking out all of that assembly cost in a full uh, digital system. And so, you know, when I first came there, I remember people on the engineering team and others were like, that's Kevin's Jesus machine. You know, they call it the Jesus mm -hmm. because they're like, how do you get from 30 to, you know, milliliters an hour to 500? And obviously it met new materials, new software, lots of new thinking to do it. And once you get there and have that first machine, that's when you really super accelerate the innovation. And that's where Divergent is now. That's why even over the last 18 months, you know, we've gone, you know, really super accelerated the kind of volumes we're going to be able to do. I'm excited to see what the next couple of years show for you. I think the next two years are going to be extremely dynamic from what you've described. Yes, knock on wood, obviously, you know, it's a company that's moving at a very fast cycle. We have to make sure, you know, we have in all of our quality systems. You know, I, I have investors who are constantly going, why are you just doing, you know, hundreds and then single digit thousands vehicles? Why don't you scale up? Because these are safety structures. This is the first time. Quality, quality, quality. You can't have a misstep when you're actually going into volume auto manufacturing. And, you know, that's required, you know, uh, belt and suspenders on every quality check, you know, materials check, everything across the board. And, you know, those first initial steps of bulletproofing a system before you scale, absolutely essential. You've got to go slow. You know, you've got to, I, I don't even call it slow. You have, you know, you, you have to use, you know, disciplined initial implementation to scale quickly. We we do have to respect caution. And it's funny because I grew up in Pittsburgh. You grew up in Cleveland. Or in Cleveland. Ron grew up in Detroit. Um, Tom grew up in Syracuse. I mean, there's, you know, we've been a lot, a lot of working class people who have seen that background. And I, um, I try very hard not to, but I think I take umbrage periodically when people talk about how fast Silicon Valley moves. And I remind them that every time I have a problem with this, I take it in and they usually give me a new one or just kind of, and they just swap it out. What Detroit is best known for, Michigan is best known for, is we create the thing you take your baby home from the hospital in. And I think it's okay to be cautious. I, I really, I have a great deal of respect for that. I have a respect for moving quicker. We know we have to move a lot quicker, but there is something. So I, I appreciate your um, diverging, if you were, pardon me, into the discussion about safety. But, but the one thing I'd say is from a digital standpoint, you know, I truly do believe that, you know, there's clear line of sight from a technology standpoint already to basically having things that are virtually safety assured or virtually safety certified. Hello, I'm Cynthia Hutchison, 
I'm the head of the new U.S. Center for Advanced Manufacturing. If you didn't just catch the video of the C-21 at Laguna, you'll want to go back and watch it. We just witnessed Kevin Singer commit an act of true competitive rebellion. His team's 3D printed hypercar beat the previous production record set by a McLaren P1 by more than six seconds. Incredible. So how did Kevin and his team do it? My colleague Ron Stefanski and I had a chance to hear from Kevin about how he and the Divergent 3D Singer vehicle team started with a blank slate. They not only built a car, but they built a new means of manufacturing, a new means of assembly and production with state-of-the-art technologies. All in all, over the past seven years, with $400 million in invested capital, the Singer team has obtained over 500 patents for developing proprietary software and advanced manufacturing processes that have all been EPA and crash test certified. This is a game changer for us. Kevin is animated. We wanted to get deep into this discussion. Let him tell his story completely, and you'll hear from him. That's why we're producing this in multiple segments. So sit back, relax, listen, hear from an accomplished scientist, entrepreneur, and engineer who's about to take the world stage. This is not a story about some imagined future state. The future is right here. It's right now in front of us, and you can see it here with us at the U.S. Center for Advanced Manufacturing. For those of you listening and viewing this, I'm Ron Stefanski, the co-host of Disrupted Advanced Manufacturing. And we are so proud to have Kevin Singer, the CEO of Divergent 3D and Singer Vehicles along with us. As we're wrapping our series, we're gonna kind of share some uh, big new and important things that are on the horizon that you'll wanna tune in and find out more about. So. As we uh, commence this conversation, uh, I want to remind everyone, you know, what we're talking about here is not just an automotive factory and assembly line. We're not just talking about the automotive industry. We're talking with someone who is architecting a new holistic way to look at advanced manufacturing. And I think that's what's so powerful. And I have the pleasure of having Cynthia Hutchison the head of the newly launched U.S. Center for Advanced Manufacturing here in my studio today to talk about why that conversation is so important to the work at the center. Cynthia, over Thank to you. you. Well, Kevin, this has been a great opportunity to learn from what we are now calling internally our Kevin Zinger Unplugged series. So it's been delightful. One of the things we have not touched on yet, and I know from videos and from conversations with you, it's a critically important topic to you. So um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the environmental impact of doing things differently. Can you let us give some thoughts on why the manufacturing impact is so great on the alternative way you're, you're doing things? If you look at the environmental uh, impact of human activity, it has to do with the fact that we're tool makers that actually create physical things and you know, that built environment and the materials it's made out of and its efficiency in some total really equal the impact on the planet. So if you look and say you have a set of material and energy, and by the way, capital flows that go into an industry, say like automotive, if you can per unit of usefulness, 
And if you look at the structures that we're building, some are 20 to 40% less mass than something that could be traditionally manufactured and meet the same other requirements like durability and crash. All of a sudden on a global scale, you're reducing material and energy, and I would say capital significantly per unit of product usefulness. We need to use our technology to radically dematerialize those flows. A very simplified example of that is the beer can. 50 years ago, it required 83 grams of aluminum, all of which was primary mined. Today, that 83 grams of aluminum through a thinner wall, different tab design is 12.7 grams, 83 to 12.7, 76% is recycled. That presents the two fundamental principles around which any sustainable circular economy manufacturing system needs to be based. Use high-performance computing and AI to massively compress the material and energy of the structure that meets all the other requirements in three dimensions, and then create materials that close loop recycle uh, all of those materials. So the divergent adaptive pr production system is based on those two principles. Using, uh, you know, interface between humans and high-performance computing and 8i to create a perfectly optimized structure, you know, dematerializing material and energy. And then we have invented materials, all of which can be closed loop recycled. At the end of their lives, they can be re-atomized and reprinted as a new structure. Cynthia, I'm gonna let you jump in on this one because you're working right now with a team of people uh, at the World Economic Forum to build on their work in circular operations. So you may want to jump in here and yeah, share that. We just had a conversation about this today, a, um, a conversation about circularity and what that really means, that it's so much more than recycling, that so many people know nothing more than the recycling component, feel like that's a circular activity. In other words, you know, they finish their can of beer, you know, with it too, they put it in the recycling bin, and that is a piece of it, but that is such a small piece of the holistic vision for what it takes to have a truly circular economy and developing circular products. But your actual, the method of innovation using AI to drive the technology, as you described, is so innovative and so potentially transformational that it, it doesn't stop at automotive, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, we uh, have just kicked off our first aerospace defense related project. And what I would say is when you look at some of the things that we're doing in automotive, for example, the brake node where we're taking a brake caliper with all of its hydraulic routing outside, all of its uh, fasteners and washers, and then the uh, the suspension knuckle, the suspension upright, we combine those into one structure and that's reducing mass by over 40%. That's looking at from an integrated standpoint, you know, moving from, you know, an exoskeleton insight like right. structure to something mammalian where you have functional integration. 
by doing those two things, you can not only if you were optimizing each structure individually, but by combining them into that overall structure, you're reducing the mass by what we call the brake node of the combined brake caliper and upright by over 40%, while increasing stiffness by almost 30%. Imagine on something like a drone where you have the ability, once again, where mass is at an absolute premium, right? Right. So all of a sudden, use a new architecture that does two things, allows for that super optimization, not only of individual components, but of functionally integrated components, which is the big step up. And then because it's not something, say, like simply doing, uh, uh, you know, carbon fiber in a hand, you know, laid uh, up mold, which, you know, you do in many of these drone programs in order to achieve lightness, you all of a sudden have a system that can join carbon fiber to aluminum to different structures that allows for a super fast iteration. You're not recreating molds and, and other things. So all of a sudden, you know, you have that super mass efficiency that includes functional integration, that big step up in design integration, and you have the ability to quickly iterate. And what I would say is that can also be turned into modular factories that can be deployed. And so all of those things, I think, make it for somebody like the Air Force Research Lab, you know, their factory of the future, something that's a super good fit. Let me stop you there, Kevin. As I'm thinking about the series we've done now, four episodes in, you've shared so much about some really key constructs in the world of advanced manufacturing. We've talked about additive, we've talked about 3D printing, we've talked about circularity, and we've talked in it indirectly about the augmented workforce. And what I wanna do, Cynthia, is pull you into this conversation because as you've launched the Center for Advanced Manufacturing here in the US, you're trying to plug into some of these things and it might be useful to share with our audience how the work you're doing aligns and connects with a more global picture of, of manufacturing. Well, having had this much time with Kevin and gone back and forth and read, you know, rewatched interviews and talked about, listened to things we talked about, really learned, I realized that one of the things we're trying to, what the thing we're trying to do at the U.S. Center for Advanced Manufacturing is accelerate the pace at which U.S. manufacturers adopt truly innovative things. I look at that and we see it. You know, we'll be doing it through an augmented workforce initiative. How do people do more with less? Less being their own body weight, their ability to lift, all the things we can augment in, a, in an augmented workforce setting that aren't necessarily aren't necessarily the AR and VR, but all the components, exoskeletal pieces. I watched somebody not long ago who was just back from a back injury lifting with, you know, with support, with an exoskeletal support, a weight she shouldn't have been able to lift after her surgery. Those kinds of things are fascinating capabilities. So we'll be doing at the center. The U.S. Center that aligns so well with what Divergent is doing is, you know, finding a way to make a stronger, better, healthier, more, more ideally optimized workforce. Finding a way when we do have, we'll be working with the U.S. side of the Global Lighthouse Network that the U.S. Forum promotes. 
getting a U.S. spin on that. And by the way, you'll hear this from me many times. We don't have enough representation in that group yet. And I'm a little miffed because I deeply in my soul believe that we have everybody as much, every bit as much innovation, if not more, than anybody around the world. So I want to see more and more of our companies getting recognized for that. And then ultimately, how do we take the knowledge from all of these things and change change the world, you know, change the world a little bit, enable people to take those ideas, share with other executives, the leaders who get things done from across the U.S., share ideas, take away an idea from Kevin, expand it, take away an idea from somebody you'll meet here at the center and expand that with your relationships. I think that that's what we're setting out. I know it's what we're setting out to. We want to change it, have a new, better way to utilize talent, a better way to recognize our existing strengths so that we can amplify them and a better way to expand upon manufacturing mm-hmm. that has less environmental impact and ideally a positive environmental impact. So I guess that's kind of what I'm summing up is that's what I'm excited about that we've done together. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I'm and looking so, forward to the next steps on it. Well, and Cynthia, I think what's also so important uh, in the discovery we had finding out about Kevin's important work and bringing a spotlight to this. I think the center, as I understand it, is also about recognizing that some of these large issues, circular operations, sustainability, a supply chain with resiliency, these are these are circumstances and challenges that cannot be solved in one organization, with one company, with one process. And so as we advance the work of the U.S. Center, I think it's going to be critically important uh, for many people to hear from Kevin about the work he's doing, because I will guarantee you on this show at this moment that once people see and hear this conversation socialized, we're going to have other thought leaders across the industry wanting to jump into this conversation. And the U.S. Center and in, in right here uh, in Troy, Michigan, is going to be a place for that to take place. And our work with Divergence really just beginning. We're going to continue. Uh, I do want folks to know that we will be, that Kevin will be here. We have our official launch of the center. Our work actually really begins. The public facing part of the work begins. There's been a little work going on behind the scenes. Our work will really begin as we announce October 4th what those initiatives are. Uh, Kevin will be here that day. He'll be here with his son, Lucas, and who also runs one of the plants. So um, the automotive sector of his industry. So you'll get to meet Lucas, Kevin, and uh, seeing uh, another surprise or two. So it's going to be a really big day. Kevin, I want to thank you. Uh, Ron may have a final wrap up, and I want to hear your last thoughts on this, but I'm looking forward to working together. I think we're going to really do some great work here. Thank you. No, th- thank you, Cynthia. I mean, I, uh, I look forward to uh, continuing to develop uh, the relationship we have. I mean, as you said, you know, you, uh, you can't – you know, build a next generation uh, manufacturing base in America without uh, allies. And I certainly view both of you in the center as allies and I hope as uh, as developing friends. So I, I'm looking forward to uh, you know, continuing to, to work together and, and developing a very strong and enduring partnership with you both. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. It means a lot. I think for for me personally, I'd echo what Cynthia just shared, and that is here on Disrupted, a lot of people are going to hear for the first time just how abundant uh, the changes to manufacturing and just how quickly they're happening. 
I mean, they're happening at a size and scale and speed that we have not seen before. And it's exciting to hear uh, behind the scenes, not just seeing a vehicle, but seeing behind the scenes. The future is not some idle construct, right? The future is happening right here. And that, that is the last thing I'm going to say about this is that we've been, one of the programs we're going to be running with the center is called a go and see, where we're going to go to factories and see them. So to a small degree, this is my little tease to the audience, so a small degree, we're having a little bit of a come and see because what Kevin's going to show you here will give you a vision of what the factory could look like. And then we'll talk about a go and see at your place sometime in the next part of the next quarter. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. It's been great for my listening and viewing audience. This is Ron Stefanski on Disrupt Ed, Advanced Manufacturing. You've heard from Cynthia Hutchison, the newly appointed head of the U.S. Center for, Man for Advanced Manufacturing in close collaboration with the World Economic Forum. And with us for the past four Unplugged series has been scientist, entrepreneur, and industry-recognized thought leader in advanced manufacturing with the world's fastest production hypercar, Kevin Singer of Divergent 3D and Singer Vehicles. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Cynthia. This has been a great series. Much appreciated. Stay tuned. You heard these two tease out a few reveals to come. You're going to want to stay in and stay here and listen in. Thank you so much. <laughs>